Is something wrong? Something's very wrong. These tricorders aren't picking up any of your life signs. At first, I thought they were malfunctioning. But now I find they show me to be a, a living, breathing, bleeding human being. What? And that's not all. According to the computer, I'm not a hologram. I'm a real person named Zimmerman. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Haight. I'm Stuart Hollis. And this week, we have a special guest, Dan from Trek Live. Hey, guys. Um, really excited to be here um, and excited to talk some Voyager. Excellent. We're excited to talk Voyager with you. And that's what we're here for. So, talking Voyager. This week, we are talking about Season 2, Episode 2, Projections. I'm sorry, oh. I said that wrong. We are talking about Season 2, <laughs> Episode 3, Projections. Yes. And here I was, all <laughs> proud of myself for not having to hesitate on the number, and I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> yes, uh, original air date, uh, the 11th of September, 1995. Yes, this was written by Brennan Braga, who was one of the showrunners of Voyager, and was... Directed by a little-known guy named Jonathan Frakes. Uh, he was on some <laughs> show called Star Trek The Next Generation, if you've ever heard of that. Yuck, yuck. This was actually his first Voyager episode that he directed. Okay. And it's the episode... This this episode, where he directed Projections, is what they showed to Paramount to what... He, what Frick showed to Paramount to convince them to let him direct First Contact. So we have a we have this episode to thank for Star Trek First Contact. Hmm. Is that why the Doctor is in First Contact? Yes, actually, it <laughs> is because Frakes called. <laughs> I know this because I heard Robert Ricardo say it in an interview once. Frakes called Robert Ricardo to thank him for his performance in this episode because it's what got him the job on First Contact. And and uh, Robert Ricardo was like, well, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So our synopsis from TV Guide. After a Kazon attack, the Doctor must leave sickbay to assess damage to the ship and comes to suspect that he's real and everything else is a hologram. Um, I guess that's okay. Yeah. So, Dan, I presume that you watched the episode before you jumped in with us? Yes, I have. And it's, okay. it, it wasn't my first time. I've I've seen, um, I've gone through Voyager twice. So. Okay. Yeah. I think it would be funny if we ever had a guest who, like, hadn't, or had, like, <laughs> wa like, watched the wrong episode or something. That would be amazing. Yeah. It would be especially good if it was a guest who had never actually seen the episode we were talking about, like, ever. Yeah, that'd be good, too. But So, my problem with the synopsis is... He doesn't leave sickbay to assess damage yep. to the ship. That was my problem as well. Like, and, like, him suspecting he's real, he kind of, he, like, the whole point of the episode is he's fighting against the suspicion that he's real the entire time. Yeah. So, it's, it's, that's a crummy synopsis. I would agree. Memory Alpha's is a little better. The Doctor is informed that he is actually Lewis Zimmerman, the creator of the EMH. He is trapped in a holographic Voyager on Jupiter Station, and his whole Voyager experience was on a holodeck. Like, it's a little better, but I still feel like not the best synopsis. <laughs> so, Dan, you had said you had seen the episode before. Yes. Uh, what did you remember of it when you went into rewatching it just now? 
Um, I kind of remember, like, I was kind of questioning it from the beginning, and it was something like as the the episode went on and on and on, I was like, this is this is too fishy. This is this is not right, and mm-hmm. I kind of kind of fell into the trap. Like, I was kind of got lost in the episode, but um, I think that's kind of a testament to. I kind of like the episode, so um, that's kind of what I remember the first time. Uh, the second and third time watching it, it I kind of knew what was happening and what was going to happen in the end. But uh, yeah, first time around, I think it uh, held up. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think it's a really fun episode in general. Uh, I think, obviously, we as the viewer know that he can't possibly be fake because that they weren't going to sing elsewhere us in the second season of Voyager. Yeah, certainly not the beginning of the second season of Voyager. Yeah. But no, I enjoyed it. I especially like, because it is just incredibly appropriate to have Barkley show up in a situation where we're trying to figure out if this is reality or a holodeck. Yeah, it, it, I, I kind of felt like it would have been nice if Barkley had had a throwaway line at some point. Like, no, trust me, Doctor, I know a little about this. Mm, <laughs> yeah originally the early dress of the episode this was gonna it was gonna be Jordy LaForge but Brandon Braga thought Barkley was a better fit Barkley is a better fit yes I agree uh, I gotta wonder though why on earth would Lieutenant Barkley be tasked with honing the EMH's interpersonal relations that was clearly <laughs> yeah that was clearly put in there as a joke I mean joke yeah. <laughs> but it does explain a lot it does yes <laughs> So I kind of wanted to see this in a way I would have I would have thought this would be an interesting episode if it wasn't the holograph hologram or fake if like the hollow novel that it started out with actually had turned out to be real like the doctor really is brought online on Voyager and no one else is on the ship and he has to figure out what's going on that could have been a cool premise yeah. for a real episode that's what I thought was happening because the last time I watched Voyager all the way through was many, many moons ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of these episodes, it's like I'm watching them for the first time. Every so often they tickle my brain. It's like, this is familiar. This one, very little felt familiar. I mean, obviously when he does the time warp again and it's brought back to when he was first brought online, that felt familiar. <laughs> but like, you know, the rest of it, like I thought it was up until Barkley shows up. I thought it was some sort of scenario who was playing out because everything was just so like ridiculous and contrived. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, well, we installed emitters on the bridge so you can go there now and fix the captain. And then, he, then like the weird food fight in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Death by fruits. <laughs> yeah. Kazon Puss Hog. I have that down in my notes just because. Kazon Puss Hog. It's Kazon Puss Hog. <laughs> I had noted the, doc- the doctor's whiskey attack upon the Kazon. <laughs> the doctor also has a great line when he comes. Uh, like, uh, you know, he, he gets uh, kind of transported to the bridge. He's like, oh, seems bigger. <laughs> you know, it's-, it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Oh, I know all that bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah he has great nice lines one. in that. Yeah. Yeah. And we have the comments. The common issue here, whenever there's damage to the ship, there's just dirt everywhere that came from somewhere. <laughs> I didn't notice the dirt. I'll have to like keep my eye open for that next It's time. especially fun in episodes where they're taking damage, uh, because then dirt will often fall from the ceiling. 
the sets get dusty. <laughs> I suppose. And there's lots of and there's lots of dirt in space. Everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Well, where where there's rust, there's dirt. Hmm. <laughs> Touche. So, uh, speaking of Barkley, uh, we put a poll out to our followers on Twitter here, asking whether they thought uh, Barkley was a good addition to Voyager, or they should have they shouldn't have included him and left him on TNG. And uh, with ninety eight votes, eighty four percent said that Barkley was a good addition. I would agree with that. Yeah. I'm confused by the six or seven percent that had no opinion one way or the other. Mm. I'm annoyed at Twitter having very short poll answer fields because I really wanted to have, include a fourth option that said he doesn't look like anything to me. I mean, speaking of short stuff, though, how about that cold open? Yeah, second shortest quick, episode, second quick. shortest cold open in the season. Yeah. Because Memory Alpha keeps track of how long they are in a season, but not how long they are in the whole series, apparently. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I guess I'll have to. Yeah, I guess you'd have to see what which was the shortest in each season and then have like a battle royale. Mm. I wonder if anyone's made a like a video of all of a few seconds from every Voyager episode to make a whole episode sort of like that James Bond video. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, now Dan, you wouldn't you may not be familiar with this. I'm not sure how many people actually are, <laughs> but someone took uh just like 2 or 3 minutes from every single James Bond movie. And splice them together in like in chronological release order. So so there was no jumping around, uh, and it still formed a relatively cohesive movie. Yes, because of how formulaic Bond movies are. Because it was like the first scene from Doctor No, then the second scene from Goldfinger, and the third scene from From Russia with Love, etc. Dang, I'll have to check right. that out. How long and is this? <laughs> it's like an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, it's like it's, it's full video. length. Yeah. Full-length movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, and they made sure they did their edits so that they were only transitioning from one movie to the next when, like, a door opened or a car rolled past or something. So, like, like, like Bond would get into his car and then it would, and then, like, he would get to wherever he was going and he would step out and be a different car because now we're on the next movie. They should do that with Voyager or something. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. That could be a good, a good video <laughs> for Voyager. Just use all the open, cold opens. <laughs> I think if we take all the words that Chakotay had spoken in the first season, you wouldn't even like add up to a whole episode. <laughs> uh, poor Chakotay. <laughs> uh, certainly, if you don't count um, that one Chakotay episode, the one Chakotay episode in season one. Right, that one. Oh, what was it called? No, I mean, as in, it was the only Chakotay episode. Uh, what was it? The one was the one where Seska is revealed to be a traitor, and we have the right. longest cold open. Father, what was the name of that episode? That's gonna bug me. Yeah. See, what's funny is I'm the one who doesn't know names. <laughs> uh, state of flux. That was it. Because I write down my notes. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought it was a really cool moment when Janeway tells the computer to shut down all holograms, and she gets turned off. That was fun. Yeah, it kind of surprised me. It didn't uh, make if I remember correctly, much like the first... logical sense, but it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if a regular holodeck has protocols in place to prevent the holograms from being able to direct the computer to do things. 
But, like, it really doesn't make sense, though, because they wouldn't have been... They wouldn't have been holograms within the hologram in the story. They would have been hologram... They wouldn't have been holographic holograms. Right. Right, right, right. There wouldn't have... They wouldn't have had to go another level deep in the Inception. They... It shouldn't have turned them on. Exactly. Right, unlike the holographic hologram projector inside the hologram. Right. Right. But it was a... It was a cool... Yeah, I mean, to me, that... There's many... It's kind of sprinkled in between, like, through the whole episode. It's like, there's there's little things that just don't add up. Um, Like, the life signs... Like, the crew doesn't have life signs. Um, Like, you know, obviously... Uh, Janeway being able to turn herself off. <laughs> it just didn't feel, didn't, it wasn't right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And we, you can chalk all of that up to the holodeck being damaged and it doing weird things, but it did not make that much sense. That's right. It was damaged by the kinoplasmic radiation. Which we can add to that <laughs> counter because it never appears again. That's right. Technically, we have a Harry Kim death this episode, too. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you could make the case Maybe. for it i'm saying <laughs> i suppose yes computer delete paris that was computer delete paris what are you <laughs> something we'd all been hoping would happen yes i wasn't even talking about that but yet you can make the case for that the delete camp but i was talking about the fact that the corpse that was intended to be came on the bridge Okay, mm. so two Harry Kim fake deaths. Yeah, we we have two <laughs> fake Harry Kim deaths. So, so this would be two two deaths with an asterisk, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that that would be like if I don't know, like someone had woken up from from some fever dream where Voyager had been attacked and Ki- and Kim had gotten blown up. Like that that doesn't count as a Kim death. All right, all right. Well, I know for a fact we'll have at least one this season. Exciting. I like watching Harry Kim die. Mm. I wouldn't mind if Tom Paris died a few times. Yeah. So do we want to like work our way through the episode? What do we want to do here? We can. Okay. Because uh, my only other note is Nondoran tomato paste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's because that's just my standard... Uh, and you've brought this up before that when they got they they have to bring up a, a normal item and then say it's from an alien planet, right? But yeah, so after our surprisingly short cold open, mm-hmm. we come back to the doctor on sick bay, and he's interrogating the computer, and we get the old everything on the ship is broken trope. I was kind of <laughs> hoping for a little bit of humor back, where it would be okay. Well, what is working? Replicators on deck three. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the whole episode plays itself very, very straight. Um, yes. It actually felt a lot like a play it to me. It did. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. And that part of that is probably because it is a bottle episode. Yeah, that might be why. But I think also just, especially towards the end of the episode, when they're, when they're in engineering... And Barkley is trying to convince the doctor that he is actually Lewis Zimmerman. And just some of the stuff that the doctor was saying just felt very much like it was supposed to be delivered upon, like on a stage rather than a sound stage. Hmm. Well, I, I think, I think that that kind of 
plays into the kind of the premise of the episode because technically we are on the holodeck where overly dramatic, you know, things take place. And uh, yeah. I kind of, I kind of like that how it played into the premise of the show. Yeah, that's an angle I hadn't thought of, but that makes that makes a lot of sense. He it was does. supposed to be do- in a holodovel. Yep. It does make sense. Yeah, and it would explain by why Neelix was overly dramatic in his Kazon Pusshog incident. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing can explain Neelix. I I feel like Neelix was more dramatic than Neelix normally is, and that is a that is a high bar. But I think, yeah, right. <laughs> so after he interrogates the computer, he he leaves his last uh, what he thinks is going to be his last chief medical log. Then he gets freaked out by a bump in the night, which feels weird to me. Why does the doctor feel fear? You know, there's a lot about the doctor that like that's just one of many things. It's like. Why would you program him to have, I guess, maybe the ability to feel fear is part of what makes people people and might affect decision-making processes. So they would they would want someone who's a doctor to be able to have the full range of human emotions. Yeah, you could also say that he was under the influence of the radiation and his program wasn't, uh, you know, working correctly or something, anything. Really. mm yeah, I can see that. It's a yeah, it's a it's a bit of a quandary, but I I can I feel like my explanation might work, but yes, in, in reality that's because it helps the story. Sure. It is not the first nor the last time he will feel fear cuz he was definitely afraid in uh Heroes and Demons as well. Well, that was cuz his arm got hollow bit off. Right, but why would a hologram fear feel? Or f- fear f- feel fear. <laughs> Because now he's losing bits. <laughs> but he hadn't lost any bits yet, just his whole crew. Well, because he had no idea what was coming in there, I guess. I mean, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. But, again, because it's the dramatic holo novel, he's supposed to feel f- fear there. Right. Uh, right. I think, yeah, I think we lost Dan. Okay, I think at this point we can safely say that we have lost Ben. Well, we didn't have Ben, we had Dan. Okay, I, th- I think at this point we can safely say that we lost Dan. And maybe Ben. Yes. Okay, so the way I see it, there's there are some possibilities as to what happened. Dan was a hologram all along. Yes, and he blew up the holographic warp core inside the yeah. hologram. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, option two, he was kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. He- option three, he's on a Windows computer, and it decided... It's time for me to restart for an update. Option four, his internet service provider is Comcast. Do I need to go further and explain why that would be a problem? Okay. So, Balana comes into sickbay. She's, she was the bump in the night. Yes. Yes, she was. And she has no life signs. No. <laughs> Which is very confusing to the doctor. But Balana has no time for this. Because she needs to get to engineering to fix the mm-hmm. whole ship. Even though Chakotay just told us two episodes ago they would need a hundred people to run this ship. It's true, he did. In reality, we just need our best science buds, Janeway and Balana. That's really all you ever need. I mean, let's be fair. Yeah, and like, I don't know, Tuvok for security. Yeah. yeah. Not Chakotay, though. Uh, like, moral support? He's a, sure. he's a good sounding board. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, he would be. 
glad you picked up on that. <laughs> so the doctor gets beamed to the bridge where, surprise, emitters have been installed. Mm-hmm. A- about time. Yeah, like, that's part of my thing is, like, how did how did this, has this not actually been a thing they've been working on? Right, like, and, and what, and, like, I mean, we're trying to work our way through the episode here, but let's just jump right to what should have been, like, the very last line of the episode. Actually, I loved Kess's last line of the episode. I thought that was an amazing way to end it. But, like, the last thing that the Doctor should have said to Janeway was, so I was thinking, what if we installed emitters? Yes! (laughs) Now, admittedly, that's not going to be a problem in the future because of the future. But yes, that problem will end in the future because of the future, because it's future yes. technology in the past. Yes, it will be future technology that will end the problem. <laughs> yes, yes, it will. There you go. You got there. <laughs> so he gets to the bridge. Uh, and yes, the doctor says that it's bigger on the inside. I mean, bigger than he thought it would be. Mm hmm. And he pulls out the incredibly disorganized med kit. Like, they don't believe in, like, compartments in the future. Everything's just, like, chucked in the in the gray box. Tom Paris probably put it away last. That's probably true. Well, he had to get a prophylactic. Hmm, yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Janeway has no life signs. But she's awfully chipper for having no life signs. It's true. So that makes me wonder if... Harry Kim is actually dead. When the doc- when Janeway starts to go to him and the doctor sh- shakes his head, maybe he's not. It's just he has no life signs. Harry Kim death fake out? <sighs> the show wouldn't do that to us, would it? I'm not adding that counter, but... <laughs> is Harry Kim part possum? I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, yes. And then Neelix pages the bridge because there's an emergency. So Janeway sends the doctor to the mess hall, where there are also hollow emitters. Yes. And they fight the Kazon Puss Hog. I mean, I guess mess hall makes sense. Lots of crew congregates there. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, Especially if, if, if they've not eaten Neelix's for... food, there are going to be medical emergencies. <laughs> well, I was going to say, not just for medical emergencies, but perhaps the idea of allowing the doctor to socialize and enhance his personhood. Mm-hmm. Get those interpersonal routines of work out. Uh, yeah, because I'm pretty sure that you know Barkley didn't do a bang-up <laughs> job of uh, debugging him. <laughs> interpersonal skills, not really Barkley's, like, strength, I would say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but anyway, we have a case on there, and Neelix is throwing food at it. And the Kazon even shoots at Neelix, and then Neelix pops up and goes, Missed me. Which, r- come on, really? Yes. All of the. Everything about the kitchen fight was lame. <laughs> like, there was nothing not lame about it. This is true. I, I was really confused why the, the doctor was, like, belly crawling and, and like, ducking around things. Uh, but I did remember Bellana's caution against him to stay away from phaser fire and electrical shorts because it could completely fry his program so i think that might be the explanation for it yeah and not just robert picardo deciding to have some fun and ham it up well i mean 
I imagine it was mostly Robert Picardo wanting to ham it up. I have to wonder though, with Jonathan Frakes directing this episode, was he was he kind of tore up about seeing all those chairs knocked over so he couldn't do his <laughs> right? Yeah, he very well could have been. Yeah. On the other hand, all those chairs lying down, those are things he could he could put his leg up on and lean. So, oh, good call. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the fight concludes and the doctor is bleeding, which confuses him. And Neelix. Yes. And we get a, an excellent um great acting out of Robert Picardo when he calls down like the like the tremor in his voice about something having gone terribly wrong yes. with his program and therefore his being. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he gets back to med bay to the sick bay and starts interrogating the computer some more. And I did like the one line Computer, is this me? Affirmative, Dr. Lewis Zimmerman. <laughs> yes. That was good. Yeah. And I think this is when Red shows up. Yeah, I mean it still seems weird if it is the holographic representation of Voyager then this was designed to to be to test as if it was the EMH. So the computer shouldn't have had a record of him as Lewis Zimmerman. Right, yeah. No, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Like, at first I was thinking, like, maybe it was the outside computer, but if he could interact with the outside computer, he they could just turn the thing off. All right, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. It's just one of the many things that doesn't add up, and normally we'd say, look at this glaring plot hole. But in this case, it's just... You can chalk it all up to weird holodeck malfunctions. So we have received communication from Dan, who will not be rejoining us on this episode. It was option four, Comcast. We don't actually know that he has Comcast, but he does have an internet Comcast. outage. So I, I'm pretty sure it's probably Comcast. Right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> all right. So I think this is when Reg Barkley shows up. No, 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 no. He shows up after Janeway deletes herself. Yes, he does. That's right. And this is when we first get the mention of the of uh, the uh, the kinoplasmic radiation. Yes, yes, we do. Which comes up multiple times this episode. Yeah, and it's apparently oxidizing his neural pathways. Is that yeah, a thing that, that was can my happen? reaction to that as well. I mean, he is really the EMH, so I feel like as the EMH, he should have been like. That's not a thing that can happen, Reg. <laughs> in Star Trek, it might actually be a thing that can happen. Everything's a thing that, that can happen in Star Trek. It's the future. Mm. Fully automated luxury gay space communism. That's right. We can even have lady captains and everything. Yeah. Black Vulcans. Yeah. It's the future. Mm. So this is where it gets all like a little bit hazy for me, because like all the Reg stuff runs together because he repeats himself a lot he does because he's trying because this is something about the doctor's like internal circuitry or whatever i mean he's not a robot but you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. is like dredging up this image of barkley and the doctor himself brings this up at, at the end of the episode where he's like why would i have this personality conflict going on i know what i am I'm comfortable with what I am. Why on earth would I have this internal conflict? And definitely like speaks to this like weird dark side of the conflict because Reg is egging him on to basically like terminate his program. Yes. 
Because on some level, like, the doctor has to know that blowing up this, like, that doing what Reg wants him to do is going to terminate his program, which is why he's so hesitant in fighting against it. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. And we also come back to Reg doesn't really make sense, um, because... Reg points out the holodeck safeties are off. So, yes, blowing up the ship would end the program, but it would also kill a human while it ended the program. Well, that's assuming that the explosion, the holographic explosion would propagate enough before the Jupiter Station holodeck shut down the program. Eh, that's true. Like, I, I would see, like, the very act of the warp core going critical, and and now it's blowing up, and now the program ends, like, a millisecond later. Yeah. No, I can see, it just feels like, just based on how the holodeck safeties have worked, and, or more, more or accurately, not. not worked in the past, it basically, like, I feel like, especially future knowledge in um, the killing game. There's a moment when a very large explosion on the holodeck with the safeties turned off tears a hole in the ship's bulkheads. Oh, wow. Okay. That's wild. <laughs> so, that's why I'm thinking, like, a warp core explosion with the safeties turned off would, like... Yeah. ...be a bad thing. Could be a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, let's talk for a second about... All of the crew is inside one memory block in the computer? 47 how? Alpha. Yes. How How do their memory blocks work? Are they like memory cards? Like from a from like a PlayStation? Is that what it Could is? Be. Like uh, Well, no, because those are only a couple kilobytes. <laughs> right. But like, like blocks of memory are like that. That's a that's a term that we use today. Do we? Yeah. What's a block? Well, it, it's it's not like a it's not a unit. It's like like such and such program is like using like these blocks of memory. Like that 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 is a term that I have heard yeah. outside of Star Trek. Yeah, no, it's a term that I've heard, and I'm yeah, and and, and like like sandboxing to prevent program B from dipping into program A's memory area. And like it seems weird to me that. Because I have to imagine that simulating a person takes up a lot of memory. I would think so. It just feels weird to me. The bridge crew was in 47 Alpha, and then, you know, Deck 3 crew was in 47 Bravo. Well, presumably, a simulated a simulated person does not take up as much space as an actual person, from what we have... What we will... What we would have seen... There's an episode of Deep Space Nine. Okay. Where multiple people... Uh, due to a transporter accident, and uh, it turns into a holodeck malfunction because Star Trek. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and basically, they had to quickly store the patterns of multiple people that were in the transporter accident, and they took up ev- like their their memory patterns took up every single whatever unit they're using of memory on the station. Terra quad. Right. Yeah, all the quads. Yes. And you have to imagine that Bashir was streaking across all of these quads. Well, Bashir wasn't one of them. Okay, you know what? It's a funny joke. Yes, it was. 
But Harumph. <laughs> Getting back to this episode, though. Yes, I did really like the uh, the sort of like rewinding him back to when he first got brought online and how he worked his way through that. That was pretty fun to watch. Yes, it was. Not just I... because computer delete Paris. What are you? I mean, that was a big part of why it was fun. But yes, I won't. I won't lie and say I didn't enjoy Computer Delete Paris. We eventually work our way down to engineering with the mm-hmm. Doctor and Reg. Yes. And this is where it really felt like a play to me, like I said. Yeah. Like, there, like after the whole crew had gotten holographically beamed away by the holographic caretaker or Pancho Man. Yeah, and then we have the devils, the devil and angel on the shoulder with Reg and Chakotay. Yes, and then the succubus... In Kess? The, I mean, like the, <laughs> no, no. The Siren. Yes, Siren is better. Yes. So I actually had written, because I had not quite remembered until until it started happening, that, it was a, that there was a fake out. And I'm like, why does the doctor show up lying on the bed when they transfer him back to sickbay? Yeah, I had been wondering that too, but I didn't give it too much thought. But then, as soon as Kess started talking, I'm like, oh yeah, it's a fake out. Because then I okay. remembered. <laughs> right. Like, so my problem with this, and this could actually be a sign that of the Lieutenant Barkley School of Interpersonal Skills, mm-hmm. when Kess was like, oh, so you don't think I'm beautiful? And the doctor kind of stammering his way, his way around stuff. It's like, you're perfectly allowed to say if you think she's beautiful. Like, yeah, yes, but like, I would feel awkward saying that someone's beautiful, too. So, I mean, granted, I have never claimed to have good interpersonal skills, but I would also be, I would, that's not something that I would tell people. I I, I just wouldn't say that to people, whether I think it's true or not, because I I wouldn't want to sound creepy. I was called beautiful three days ago. Good for you. Yeah, it was fine. He was calling everyone at the table beautiful, so, you know, it's kind of lessened, really. A little bit. Like I, Yeah, I wasn't, like, the only beautiful person. We were all beautiful people. It's like, well, I mean, well, fine, that point. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot, Marilyn Manson. Ha <laughs> <laughs> I w- That was in my head as well. Yeah. That's also tangentially a Stargate reference. How? Because that song plays in Vegas. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of songs play in Vegas. Yes. It's good it's a good episode. Yes. We'll I did not like it the first time I saw Yeah, I didn't like it the first time I saw it, but I came around. Oh, I loved it so, the first time I saw it. I've yeah. I've liked it even more every time I've seen it since, but yeah. 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 Sorta of like how the doctor eventually came around to the idea that he is the doctor and not well, yes. Doctor Lewis Zimmerman. That's true. Hey, you know what? I don't know if we were... We have mentioned this, but we haven't been keeping a counter. This is an episode where Chakotay is important and relevant to the plot. Yeah, no, no. He was, like, he was a big part of it, and I think that... That said, it could have been any other character. It didn't have to be Chakotay, but... I Chakotay's disagree that it could have been any better. other character. It shouldn't have been Neelix. Exactly. It should not have been Neelix. Okay, so... you also have to it run could have down... been Bolana. It could have been Harry. No. No. Because... Chakotay is observing what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, well, I guess that Harry Kim comes later, but 
so the so Chakotay's observing what's happening. So he knows that like Balana can't go in because the doctor's already seen Balana and seen her disappear. So already, he already thinks that she's fake. Ah. Same with same with the captain. Like there's a lot of people that it couldn't be. Like Neelix for multiple reasons. Uh, you know, we just saw that he like deleted Tom Paris and Harry Kim. That had already happened. Okay, but it could have so, been Tuvok. It could have been Tuvok, and it would have been a, it would have been interesting if it had been written as Tuvok, just because of how different the approach would have been. Yes. Um, because yeah, like no matter how much like Neelix wants to call himself the morale officer, I genuinely think that like Chakotay might actually be the morale officer. Oh yeah, he definitely is. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's definitely like a like a moral touchstone. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, as we saw in the last episode, initiations where yes, we do definitely see that with Chakotay in initiations. Yeah, so yeah, he's like the yeah he's like he's like the moral touchstone. I mean, especially for especially for the captain, but I think for other crew members as well. We just uh-huh. see it more with the captain. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's it's the first officer's job for that in in a lot of ways to do to be that person yes and to start a mutiny if the captain wants to launch the nukes yes that too yes and we come back to again we make fun of chakotay all the time but really chakotay is a pretty great character he just doesn't get nearly enough to do yeah and it's a real shame because i mean as as far as this cast is concerned the like the the number of actors and characters that they could have so much to do with it's kind of unfortunate to see how little they do with like half of them yes cuz they've got a lot of like really solid actors uh-huh. in the bunch there with interesting characters with interesting backstories and we just don't get to explore very many of them and they don't get to pull from those from that backstory as often as I would like. Yes. Yeah, I, I think there's a, I think there's like a, like there's a version of Voyager that could have been that spends a little bit more time dealing with the resource scarcity and a little more time dealing with we're the only Starfleet for tens of thousands of light years. Like we're, like we only have each other to rely upon and like more of a family element and i think we get more of that in the later seasons like the family element Mm -hmm. i really want would like to see 2010s era tv voyager yes i feel like it could put it would be like this like weird sort of like like swiss family robinson or lost in space like writ large because it's such a you know it's 140 people instead of Mm -hmm. four but yeah it could be very interesting to see that i just I would be worried, though, that it would, depending on when the show got made, would be a little bit too grimdark, mm. a la universe. Grimdark is in vogue. Yes. Yes. Black is the new black, as it, as, as it seems. <laughs> All right. So we've covered most everything here. Yeah. yeah I Like I said, I mean, I enjoy this episode. It's an excellent little bottle episode. Mm-hmm. It's fun. And for me, uh, Barkley is one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek. Uh, a large part because I empathize with Reg Barkley quite a bit because I I see myself in him a lot with 
less as much less in this episode, but in in the episodes where he is dealing with his less than stellar interpersonal issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm always happy to see him, uh, and we will see him again. It'll be a little while though. He doesn't show up again until the sixth season, but yeah, he becomes a, like a semi-recurring character in mm-hmm. the latter seasons. Yeah, which is like more of what I remember is him in the later seasons. Yes, like I, said, I, I completely forgotten about this episode, but it was it was enjoyable. Interestingly, uh, like the 37s, this episode was also originally filmed for the first season and was pushed back to the second. I think this also could work well as a first season episode. Like, it's yeah. relatively timeless in that like it mm-hmm. doesn't need to be kind of like pegged down anywhere. Yeah. Uh, one more episode, actually, the one we'll see next week, I believe, Elogium, was also originally mm-hmm. written for the first season. Oh, okay. And on that note... Thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly. You can find and review both on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. You can find me on Twitter at Gamicus. And you can follow the show on Twitter at deltaflyerpod. And that's our show. Yeah. <laughs>